Hello, everyone. We're back again for episode two. That's Jackie. That's Izzy. And this is Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces with the Wonder Twin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, with the... We need to have a name for ourselves. Uh, no, we don't. Dynamic duo. The the dynamic duo of I murder. took that from somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sounds good, though. All right. The dynamic duo. Oh, <laughs> how, about, how about their dramatic duo? I like that better. The dramatic duo. Because we're, we're both a little bit of a drama queen, I think. You are, maybe. You are. Get out of here. So how are you okay. doing? Nice. Get offended when... <laughs> I'm always offended when you're talking to me. I just want you to know that. I was just saying it seems a little bit dramatic. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Nice. See? See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. You like that? I did. It was good. First oh. of all, we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It's a little late. We are recording this on Mother's Day because we both live away from our mom and we miss her. We want to wish her a happy Mother's Day, but I think this isn't even going to come out until, let's see. Next week? The 15th, so later this week. Five days from now. So, happy belated Mother's Day, mothers. Can you hear typing in the background? I cannot. Okay, because I'm not paying attention to what you're saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're playing solitaire. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? I was. I'm not anymore. I, because it's rude, Izzy. Share your screen. I don't believe you. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you, okay. All right. Fine then. <laughs> so how are you doing? Good. Good? Just I good? I talked to mom for a while today. It was really nice. Aww. I also talked yeah. to mom for a while, and I think she enjoyed our phone call more than she enjoyed your phone call. Did she say that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said that 100%. She listens to this, so she's going to know I'm a liar, but you don't <laughs> I know will that. Expected do over Mother's Day call, mom. <laughs> yeah, mom. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'm in a giggly mood today, so I'm sorry. I'm mad at my cats, and I would like to tell you why. I have two of them. Okay. But I'm specifically mad at the fluffy older bastard because I planted some plants. It's springtime. It's nice outside. I wanted fresh herbs to cook with. So I went to Walmart, bought nine herbs, planted them in nine individual little pots. And I take them in and out each day because they have to have like six hours of sunlight or some dumb baloney like that. And I had my full watering can on the table next to these plants. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. So I'm sitting there watching TV in the other room and I just hear this whooshing sound. And I legitimately, yeah, like a whoosh and like it was long. So I thought that a pipe had burst or something. So I'm like, Ryan, what is that? What's going on? And Ryan's playing games. So he doesn't hear anything. And I come out here and I lock eyes with Jesse, my oldest cat. We lock eyes. He starts staring me down and I look and he knocked over the full watering can and it's just all over the carpet. Oh no. And like, he's just looking at me like, what? What's How big was that watering can? Uh, it's pretty standard size. Like, like it was a gallon? A, yeah, about a gallon, I'd say. Maybe, Dang. well, maybe like a half, between half gallon and a gallon. But he's just like locked eyes on me and is just looking at me like, what's your problem? And I was like, listen, cat, you're about to get a new home. <laughs> <laughs> he I just love needed him. to let you know he was the alpha. I, I guess. I love him and I would never do that to him. But for a like split second... 
I was considering it. So time out here real quick. Ryan, would you grab me my uh, charger for my iPad? Because I'm on like 10% and I will not have notes. And that would be bad and we don't want that. You're making a lot of work for yourself with all these interruptions, Izzy. Bold of you to think that I'm going to edit. <laughs> it's just going to go out raw. Yeah, raw from the gut. Let's do this. Raw and railing, just the way we like it. That's what she said. No, that's what <laughs> Gollum said, you noob. That's who, that's what what said? Gollum. Gollum. Rough and Smeagol. railing, just the way I like it. Smeagol raw, said that. Raw and wriggling. Oh, I thought you said railing, and I was like, um. You apparently heard a lot of dirty, nasty things that I did not say, so I don't know where your mind's at, but. The gutter permanently, let's be apparently, honest. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but. You yes. should have said it. Hey, Ryan, where are we at with that charger? He didn't hear anything I said. Can you grab me a charger, please, baby? Oh, Ryan. Ah, it's raining chargers. Ow. So our desktops are back to back and I was like, I'm like, where are you at with that charger? And it just comes flying over monitors and hits me in the face. I love that. You know, I kind of deserved it. <laughs> just a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So, oh, it says it's not charging. God damn it, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. Jesus Christ. Stand Looks on. like you better get on with your story before your iPod dies. Oh no, I just I just plugged it in directly to the wall instead of into my computer and we're Gucci now. Is that what the kids uh, say? We're Gucci? No, oh. I don't think so. Oops. Kids, email us with some slang. Send us your slang to ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. I will read it and I will learn the error of my ways. Probably not, but you know, we can always hope. I'm not a very smart man. <laughs> Some would say you're not even a man. Some. Um, not all, though. Ooh. I just didn't have a response. What am I supposed to say to that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, kids, send us your slang. Let us know. Also, if you're under the age of 18, get out of here. Is that offensive? Yeah, if you want to say that, I don't know. If that's offensive, email us. Let us know. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> let us know. That's enough. If You've gone too our far. Slang and our terminology is offensive and I will try to read it, but there's a good chance that I see this is offensive and I accidentally delete it on purpose. Izzy. What? <laughs> I feel like you have a story to tell me. I do have a story to tell you, but before that, I want to talk more about how I'm feeling because that's really why I made this podcast. You talk to me enough. I'm tired of it. <laughs> You're tired of listening to my voice. You don't want any part of it. You're done. That sums it up pretty well. That hurts my feelings. If you, you agree it, that me. this would hurt your feelings, please email us at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. Let Jackie know what a big meanie she is. I'm not reading that. Oh, I'll make you. I'll be like, look at what this nice person said. And you'll be like, oh, a compliment. And then you'll be like, hey, wait a minute. This person Nobody called has bad me things to say about me. I have I'm bad things. Greatest. Would you like me to tell you the bad things I have to say about you chronologically or alphabetically? I would like you to tell me a story. I am telling you a story. Haven't you been listening? About... I, I just told you a story about my cat. Now I'm telling you a story about how you're mean. Story about murder, please. One murder, please. <laughs> It'll take me a while to get there to murder you, but you got some time to wait, right? That was really lame. You're really lame. I cringed. Oh, good. That's why I'm here. Welcome to Cringe Podcast with Izzy and Jackie. Now let's talk about some murder. 
So, are you ready? Are you ready to hear this? I mean, you've been begging for it, but I'm not quite sure if you're ready. This is the story of the disappearance of Brianna Maitland. Have you heard of this one? I don't think so. All right. Well, would you like me to tell you my sources? Do you want to tell me the sources at the end? Nope. I want to tell them to you right now. Is that cool? Apparently. Yep. Too bad I don't care about your opinion. Anyway, I used the Charlie Project, which, have you ever heard of the Charlie Project? It's actually pretty cool. No. So the Charlie Project compiles lists of missing people not just lists but they have like an individual profile for each missing person where they have pictures they've got age progression they've got their description they've got where they disappeared from they've got the circumstances and they've got phone numbers for you to call to are they the people that do the posters at the walmarts and stuff i don't know about that but i do know that it's all on the charlieproject.org and Um, You can always donate to them. I think that I'm going to start donating monthly to them because it's just a really cool resource. I, of course, used Wikipedia, but anything I got from Wikipedia, I confirmed on two other websites. I used an article called The Strange Disappearance of Brianna Maitland by Nicole Henley on Medium.com. And I also used an article on ChillingCrimes.com. The Disappearance of Brianna Maitland, I would like to just go ahead and kind of give you a little bit of background about her and her life leading up to the disappearance just because I think it's really important because it kind of reminds you that she was a human. She was a person. She has a family that loves her. She had friends. She was just about to start her life and then something tragic happened. We don't know where she is. No one's ever seen her. So I just really feel like background is important in this case. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Brianna Alexandria Maitland was born October 18th. 1986 in Burlington, Vermont. Her family lived on a farm in East Franklin, Vermont, which is near the Canadian border. In her youth, she practiced jujitsu extensively. She went at least weekly. I couldn't quite find how advanced she was in it, but it is a common theme that she did practice jujitsu. On her 17th birthday, she decided she wanted to move away from her parents' farm. Her mother said that there was no stress or anything at home. She just wanted to move closer to her friends as they were about 15 miles away and attended a different school. She moved. Was she emancipated? No, she wasn't emancipated. She just moved out. I I can't really relate to because I think if we would have tried that when I like when I was 17, if I would have told my parents, our parents, excuse me, that living out in the middle of nowhere was not good for me and I needed to move into town I don't think they would have been down for that they just would have had they would have had to be very trusting parents she transferred to the high school her friends attended and her living arrangements became unstable to the point that she had to drop out of high school and move in with her childhood friend Jillian in Sheldon Vermont which was approximately 20 miles west of Montgomery so it kind of begs the question if her living arrangements were so unstable to the point that she had to drop out of high school and then move farther away from where her other friends were why didn't she go back home right I just I don't know what her childhood was like but to me that's kind of odd so I really think this is a small town I don't think that this is a big city I think it's a bunch of small towns close together and that's why it was more okay and this kind of circumstance happened because the parents knew who she was living with and yes. were okay with it? Yes, okay. and they were familiar with the areas she was going to, that sort of thing. Okay, no, that does make sense. I just think there might be a little bit more of a hang-up if this was a like a big city 
and her parents were okay with her moving in with friends at 17. I mean, absolutely. I would hope that there would be a hang-up there. Like, I don't, obviously I don't know anything about her parents or home life. I've never heard of this story before, but if someone had told me that they were moving out from their parents' house at 17 to someone the parents didn't know and the parents were fine with it, I would be concerned. Concerned to say the least, yeah. Going back to, we're going to kind of fast forward to three weeks before she disappeared. She was attacked at a party by a former female friend named Kiali. The motive for this attack is sort of unclear, but Brianna's father has a theory that it was because of an interaction Brianna had with a guy at the party. His theory is that the girl liked a guy that Brianna was talking to and was, of course, intoxicated because it's a high school party and attacked Brianna over it. But even though Brianna knew jujitsu, she did not fight back. She refused to fight back even after taking several blows to the head, resulting in two black eyes, a broken nose, and a concussion. Wow. Yeah. Why don't you just, that's some superhuman restraint. I know. I don't. To just stand there and. And just take it. I don't think I could have. I can't imagine. Was this girl just a super great friend of hers or something that snapped? (laughs) I don't think so. I think that they were friends and then she was just really jealous that Brianna was getting attention from this guy and having alcohol in your system is not the best for your judgment. So I think that she just got super jealous and flew off the handle. I'm just wondering why Brianna didn't fight back. I don't know either but maybe it's because she'd advanced to the point in jujitsu that she was worried about seriously hurting her or something like that. No, I don't know. If you come up to me and you punch me in the face, that's kind of I don't care how good I know you. You're getting punched back. Like, if you punch me in the face, that's it. Yeah. Um, And I know you pretty well. Unfortunately, So, if some random person... Oh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we can't ask Brianna, but she did file charges later. Unfortunately, these charges were dropped three weeks after her disappearance because the girl that attacked her, Kiali, was cleared of any involvement. I would like to note that Brianna's parents were not okay with them dropping the charges, but they did anyway. The police did anyway. Okay. So now we're going to jump to about three weeks later after this attack, the day that Brianna disappeared. On the morning... Three weeks after the day of the attack? Yes. Okay. So it's it's just... This timeline is interesting because she gets attacked and then three... Three weeks later, she's she disappears off the face of the planet. How bad do you think the girl that attacked her feels? Right. And I can understand, just based on that, if that's all the police are saying, that the fight had nothing to do with it, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Because normally, when tempers are high like that, if something was going to happen, it would be in the moment. Yeah, it wouldn't be three weeks later. Right. On the morning of March 19th, 2004, Brianna took an exam to get her GED. After completing the test, Brianna and her mother went out to lunch to celebrate. Her father, however, did not attend as he was out of state for work. He worked in New York. Brianna's mother said that Brianna was in good spirits and talked about attending college. And this is the day she disappeared. How disheartening is that, that she just got her GED, she was excited to start her life, she wanted to attend college, and then that day she disappears? Like, that's just heartbreaking. She definitely had a future. Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, at 17, you're a little bit more mature as a teenager. I mean, that was 10 years ago for me, and I don't think that I had any idea of what life was like or what the future would hold. And just to have all of that hope crushed is incredibly disheartening. 
After this celebratory lunch, Brianna and her mother went on a shopping trip and went to run some errands. While waiting in the checkout line, something outside caught Brianna's attention and she excused herself. After her mother completed the transaction and went outside to meet Brianna, Brianna seemed unnerved, agitated, and shaken. Brianna did not tell her mother what was wrong and asked to be taken home to get ready for work. Brianna's mother dropped her off at home between 3.30 and 4 p.m., and this was the last time that Brianna's mother ever saw her. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, that's sad. Public service announcement. If something happens to the point where you're agitated, don't just hold it in. It could be something really important. Tell your mom. Call your mom. Tell her that someone agitated you. Here's why. So that way if something like this happens, we know who was making you mad. No, it's just really like how how bad do you think that mom feels? I just assume that even if everything went perfect and nothing was out of the ordinary, I think that you'd still feel guilty. Like you had to, even if nothing went wrong and you did everything right. I think there'd just be part of your mind that was like, I could have done so. I should have asked this. I should have not let her move out. I should have done this. I should have done that. Mm-hmm. They were having a good day. They went shopping. Brianna got her GED. Everything was good. And that was the last time her mom ever saw her. So after dropping Brianna off at home, before Brianna left for work, she left a note for her roommate, Jillian, stating she would be home after her shift. So it's pretty important that she left that note. Mm-hmm. It gives a little bit of a timeline. Oh, yeah, definitely. After completing her shift at the Black Lantern Inn at about 11.20 p.m., Brianna's co-workers asked her to stay and have dinner with them, but she declined, stating that she was tired and needed to get back home to her roommate because she had a second job that started in the morning. This was the last time Brianna Maitland was ever seen by anyone, except oh, for, no. of course, the person responsible. The day after Brianna disappeared, which is still two days before she was reported missing, her pale green 1985 four-door Oldsmobile was discovered abandoned off East Berkshire Road and Route 118 about a mile outside of Montgomery. Her car was backed into a house known locally as the Dutchburn house to the point that the car had punctured a hole in the house. I'd like you to look it up real quick because to me it looks staged. I'll, I'll post it up on our Instagram and Twitter but to me it doesn't look like an accident. It looks like someone intentionally backed the car right up into the abandoned house. You're talking about the lack of damage to the car? Not just the lack of damage to the car but like the angle as well. Right because this car I know you guys at home can't see it but this car looks completely normal. I'm posting it on our Twitter before this episode comes out. So everyone go to our Instagram or our Twitter and look at this car. It doesn't have any damage. It looks like someone intentionally backed it up to that spot. It's just a little eerie, I think. Right. No, I agree. Inside the car were two of Brianna's uncashed paychecks, all of her clothes, her makeup, and her contacts. Outside of the car were loose change, a water bottle, and an unsmoked cigarette. The clothes she was wearing was in the car? No, all of her clothes. Like, the clothes that she owned. That she had a place to live. Right. So that's also something that kind of adds to the mystery of it. Because she okay. was planning on going back home with her roommate after work. So I wonder if maybe she was, like, her mom had given her her clothes that day or something that she had left at home. I highly doubt that she was planning on running away. Especially if she left that 
note for her roommate, but we'll get into theories a little later. She's already away from home. What is she running away from? She doesn't have a significant other, just friends and a job. Exactly. Police assumed that the car had belonged to a drunk driver and had it towed to a local garage. They didn't take it in for evidence or anything right away. They just towed the car. Okay. Well, at that point, they didn't know that she was missing. They just assumed that whoever was driving the car was drunk and got into that accident. And abandoned it or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The police did not report the car to Brianna's mother, who was the registered owner, but rather went into Brianna's work because they assumed that she was the primary driver, but they were unable to find her, of course. Brianna's roommate assumed she had gone to stay with her parents and she herself spent the weekend away from home. But when Jillian arrived back home and the note was still there, she became worried. To kind of break down what happened, right after Brianna left for work, Jillian gets home, sees the note, knows that Brianna's not going to be home until 1130 midnight, says, okay, well, I'm planning on not being here and visiting whoever for the weekend. So she leaves before Brianna even gets off work. Then, Mm -hmm. which was... I want to say Friday night and then Sunday she gets home and the note's still there. So if Brianna had gotten home, she would have taken the note down. Jillian thinks that this is very weird and she just assumes that maybe she had gone to stay with her mother or something like that or that she had left it again or she had like reposted it before leaving for work that night or something like that. So she waited. Yeah, because she had multiple jobs and she worked pretty often. So she waited until the following day when Brianna still didn't arrive home. She got worried and called her mother, Brianna's mother. Mm -hmm. At this point, when Brianna's mother finds out about it, it had been five days after Brianna went missing. And then Jillian and Brianna's mother reported her missing, but were unable to find anybody that knew where she was. And this is when they connected the abandoned car with her disappearance. The police did or her family did? Well, both. Both, okay. There was a couple witness sightings from that night. A man who drove by the house when Brianna's car, or where Brianna's car was abandoned between 11.30 and 12.30 in the morning, said he saw the car and that the headlights were on, but there was no one in the car or around the vehicle. So this is right after she would have, this is within, okay, this is within an hour of when she would have been there. A second man drove by between midnight and 1230 and recalled seeing no headlights on, but just the turn signal and the turn signal was still on. So clearly somebody just turned off the headlights. Right. Around four in the morning, a former boyfriend of Brianna's drove past and he thought the vehicle looked familiar, but he didn't see anyone in it or around it. The following morning at about eight, some motorists found the scene so odd that they stopped and took pictures. And that's the only reason we have a picture of what the scene looked like. Yeah, I guess police don't really take pictures of every car they have before it's towed. Yeah. But thank God they stopped and took a picture, right? Right. We should all do that. Next time we see anything interesting. Anything (laughs) suspicious, get out of your car by yourself in the woods. Take a picture. It's okay. Don't even get out of your car. Just pull out your cell phone while you're driving. (laughs) While you're driving. This is all terrible (laughs) advice. Nobody listen to us. Just a disclaimer. So now I would like to get into the investigation, if you're ready. Sure. At first, the Vermont State Police did not believe that foul play was involved, and they believed she was a runaway, which especially, well, this is 2004, but I'd say even in this time, any, like, teenager that went missing, I think they just assumed they were a runaway. Because they've got to just be so common, I think. 
I'm sure without any other evidence, it would be hard to think of anything. I, I think it's just hard to imagine the worst case thing happening to a child before you have something pointing that direction. Like, maybe we all just kind of hope it's a runaway situation because the other things are just too horrible to think about. That's true. The police eventually determined that foul play was involved and that the accident was staged. In the weeks following Brianna's disappearance, the Vermont State Police received an anonymous tip that Brianna was being held against her will in a house in Berkshire 10 minutes from Montgomery. So now I'd like to get into some suspicious faces. All right. The house belonged to known drug dealers from New York named Ramon Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson. The Berkshire house. Yes. Okay. The police decided to raid the house after receiving this anonymous tip and all that was found in the house were drug paraphernalia and there was no sign of Brianna. Brianna's friends told the police that she was friends with Ramon and Nathaniel and had experimented with hard drugs in the past, specifically crack cocaine. Her parents, however, completely deny this. But I, I mean, don't... well, how would her parents know, really? She's not living at home. And even if she was, like, she's still attending parties and stuff like that. So I'm sure she wasn't like, hey, mom, guess what I did last night? I tried crack cocaine. Right. That being said, no one... Like, her friends have confirmed it, but there's been no other evidence about this, so this is just all kind of speculation. In late 2004, the police received a signed affidavit from an anonymous female that stated Ramon and Nathaniel murdered Brianna about a week after her disappearance. She claimed that they killed her over a disagreement over money Brianna had lent them to purchase crack. She then claimed Brianna was dismembered with a table saw and fed to pigs. That claim was never able to be corroborated. I don't, where did pigs come into the picture? Did they live in like a farming community? Yes. Remember her parents lived on a farm about, I think it was 10 minutes away from Montgomery. Right. No, it's coming back to me. So I guess it's possible. Yes, it's possible. But I've heard pigs will eat anything, right? Wasn't there, wasn't there, you remember when we lived in Eagle Point? Yes, there was a woman that got convicted of feeding people to pigs and then using their social security but we'll we'll talk about that later right right no that's just i guess it's more common than okay no i was i was a little bit on the edge of that's unbelievable but it's completely believable right (laughs) okay so the maitland family And how fucked up is this? The Maitland family received several anonymous phone calls from people claiming that Brianna was tied to a tree in the woods and separate calls that said she was at the bottom of a lake. Tied to a tree? Yeah, and then killed. But who in their right mind is like, oh, this is a grieving family. Let's call them and and tell them lies about where their daughter is at. No, if, if you do that to a grieving family, I think you're... Almost just as, I'm not going to say just as bad as the murderer, but But you're up there for sure. You're the step below. I just don't understand the, what goes through someone's head when they're like, I know this person is grieving for their daughter, their child daughter, who's only 17. Let's call them and tell them that their daughter who's 17 that disappeared is at the bottom of a lake. Right. It's just, it's insane. And none of these are ever able to be corroborated. There's no evidence to point to any of them being true. So the police catch the people who are making these calls i, I don't, imagine like caller id or something now right i don't know it said that these calls are received right by the right to the maitland family so i don't know if they were ever tracked because i don't think the police 
ever like tap their phones or anything. So I'm going to say that no, they probably didn't get caught. And unfortunately, since none of this was accurate, none of this was ever able to be corroborated. There's no evidence. Her whereabouts are completely unknown. It's unknown if she's dead or alive, but the police are assuming she is deceased. Brianna Maitland would be 34 years old this year. She is described as being 5'3 to 5'5. And at the time of her disappearance, she was 105 to 118 pounds. She is a Caucasian female with brown hair and hazel eyes, and she has a faint scar extending from her left eyebrow to her forehead. Her nicknames are Bree and B. If you have any information, please call the Vermont State Police at 802-524-5993. And that is the story of the insane disappearance of Brianna Maitland. That's crazy. I know. And it's it's just so sad. It's interesting to me that the only thing the police, the only evidence that they really have is the car, which they took away from the scene and probably ruined all that evidence. I know that they did, after they found out that she had disappeared, they did transfer it to be processed to a lab, but I don't know if anything ever came of it. Yeah, I just... I don't know how long fingerprints and, I guess, DNA would stick around. I'm not quite sure either, but, you know. Because she wasn't reported missing, you said, for five days after her disappearance. Right, which is an incredibly long time. But everything just happens to line up just perfectly that no one knew she was missing for that long. Right. That's sad. It's so sad. everyone it's izzy here and if you didn't know i'm the one of us that's responsible for editing and uploading our podcast and i just wanted to let you know about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast and just to clarify it's free there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple Podcasts, and many more you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I like to use it because for me, it just makes everything so simple and easy. And it is the best program that I have found to help upload and find sponsorships. And it automatically distributes it for me. There is literally nothing that I have to do in order to get my podcast onto all of the listening sites. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can record it right from the app, right from your phone, anywhere. It's convenient, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. I'm really sad. I'm sorry. It's a tragic story, but it's one that needs to be told nonetheless. No, I know. And I and that's why we're doing this which is why everybody is about to get a little bit sadder but hopefully hopefully I will prick your curiosity with this case because I like the cases that have twists in them (laughs) so I picked one and I think I don't want to say I think you're gonna like it but I think it's very interesting well I'm ready Have you heard the story of the murder of Russell and Shirley Dermond? No, I haven't. Okay. I hadn't heard this story either until I started looking into it, and it's kind of crazy. How crazy are we talking? You're going to find out. (laughs) Just relax. All right. I'm relaxed. 
Relax and listen to the soothing and sound I'm ready of to my listen. voice. I'm ready to listen. Let's We're ready go. to talk, apparently. I'm sorry. Right for me. <laughs> no. Yes. Okay. I'll shut up now. Russell was born in New Jersey, and he grew up, and right as he was a young man, World War II started. So he decided to enlist and join the Navy. Obviously, he survived. On December 15th in 1950, he married Shirley, who became Shirley Dermond. Together, they had four kids, and those kids gave them nine grandchildren. Aw. Yeah. I'm excited. But since this is a murder podcast, I know I shouldn't be. In 1994, they retired in a community in Eatonton, Georgia. Now, the couple owned several Hardee's in Atlanta. So Hardee's, for everybody on the West Coast, it's... I'm sorry. For everybody on the... Which coast has Carl's Jr.? The West Coast, Jackie. Okay. <laughs> what do for you have in Georgia? The, <laughs> for everybody on the West Coast, Hardee's is the Carl's Jr. So Carl's Jr. is the correct name. <laughs> it's the same company. I think they just merged a long time ago and half of them stayed at Hardee's, the East Coast, and the other half became a became Carl's Jr. on the West Coast. Huh. So they owned they owned several franchises though. So they owned several Hardee's in Atlanta and this kind of fits into the story later because you would assume that they're at least moderately wealthy, especially yeah. because the community they retired in in Eatonton, Georgia, was a gated community, kind of an upscale neighborhood in that community. Gotcha. And so, it was gated. So it seems like it's a really safe spot. It seems like a spot where not a lot of people probably lock their doors that kind of thing yeah so it was a gated community i'm sure you guys have those on the west coast still yes there of was a guard house but they didn't have a gate covering the entrances to the community where which you see nowadays people could drive in and out it was just the guard house and the gate to kind of deter trouble doer troublemakers yeah i almost said trouble doers trouble doers that's what i'm gonna call them from now on <laughs> you're such a Dang trouble doer. Dang it. Right. So Jesse's it definitely felt safe. Um, the Especially the area where they their house was, was kind of secluded. Uh, tr think trees, kind of foresty. The back of their house backed up right onto Lake Oconee. 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 I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's how you say it. I'm Lake Oconee. I, don't, I have no idea. I just like saying it. It's fun. Everybody try. Oconee. <laughs> Oconee. I think it's spelled, let me see. O-C-O-N-E-E. -E. Oconee. Right. Right? Right. Sure. Okay. Back to right onto the lake, they had their own personal pier. So, you know, I think kayaking. Um, Fishing, some, boating. Right. Exactly. And I don't know how relevant this is. And the police also don't know how relevant this is, so I included it. In the year 2000, their oldest son, Mark, was killed in Atlanta as he was trying to buy cocaine. Oh. Yeah, so kind of sad. It's like halfway in between the time that they retired and the time that this case happened. So 
not really any visible connection to this murder, but we don't know, right? Right. It's May 1st, 2014. Mark Russell leaves his house to go run some errands in town. He was buying groceries at a grocery store and he went to a bank. While he's out, he talks to his wife, Shirley, and his son, Brad, on the phone. A few days later, on May 6th, a concerned neighbor tries to enter their house or tries to knock on their door to check on them. Just kind of see where they're at because the previous weekend, they were expected to attend a Kentucky Derby party and they never showed up. I would like to also attend a Kentucky Derby party. I think it was a neighbor. I think the whole neighborhood was gathering around to go watch the Kentucky Derby, which I'm not judging anybody. Seems a little bit weird to me, but maybe it's just a generational thing. Well, you also live in Georgia, so I think you need to throw your own Kentucky Derby party, and I think you need to wear a giant over-the-top hat. There are no cool hats in Georgia. Well, clearly there are if there are Kentucky Derby parties that you didn't know about. Maybe. (laughs) I'll check and and get back to you. All we'll right. see what we can find. I need you to provide me a full report by the next time we record an episode. Moving yes. on. No. <laughs> More about the hats. The concerned friend knocks on the door, doesn't hear a response. She tries the doorknob, though, and the front door's unlocked. So I think in previous generations, it was more common to not lock your door all the time. I think in previous generations, it was less common, though. So I don't know... If the fact it was unlocked was because of what happened in there or if they normally left it unlocked. No one knows. No one knows. She enters the house and she looks through the house, doesn't find them. She goes into their garage. Lying on the floor behind one of the cars, she finds Russell's body. (gasps) She notices right away that not only is he dead, he is decapitated. Excuse me? Yep. His head is not on his body. Can you imagine how just traumatic that would be to find is your neighbor somebody that you know pretty enough well enough to just go into their house to try to find them and you find them in the garage without a head i actually listened to some of the 911 call where she calls the police and it's kind of scary i don't recommend that people listen to it because that poor woman it's pretty terrifying oh That hurts me, but I guess it probably hurt her more. Right. Yeah, if it hurts just hearing about it. Oh, that that poor woman. Okay, I'm sorry. Please continue. So we have kind of the main player in this investigation, and I think it's because this wasn't a big city, right? After the police go to the scene, Sheriff Sills talks to the media, and he says the only person who is not a suspect is me because I know where I was. That's rough. And That's that a kinda, lot of suspects. That kind of follows into some of the investigation I'm going to talk about now first. Russell has no head. Right. Police don't find it in the house. Right. But there's also something else they don't find in the house that's very concerning to them. Is it Shirley? It's Shirley. Uh-oh. Where's Shirley? They can't find her. Did she do it? Did she... Does she cut off her own husband's head? They actually talk about this in some of the reports that I read. In some of the news articles I read, I should say. (laughs) And police say they don't think she's a suspect because she's around 80. I don't know her exact age at the time of her murder, but she's about 80. She has nine grandchildren. There's no way she strong arms her husband into the garage and cuts off his head. I mean, that's a good point. Right. 
police did find gunshot residue on Russell Derman's collar. Oh, no. So when they find that, immediately they think this guy was shot in the head. And then the perpetrators, the criminals, cut off his head to hide the bullet evidence. That's that's a little extreme. Like, not only did you shoot him, but now let's take his head. Well, I don't know. I think it's kind of smart because police can tell if a bullet matches other bullets fired from a gun. So they can take that and take a gun and say, this is the gun that killed Russell Dermond. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. But that, to me, sounds like it's somebody that knew who... It sounds like somebody knew what they were doing. And it sounds like this might not have been the first time that they did this. Right. I feel the exact same way. The police don't agree with that assessment. Yes. The police... Don't think it was a professional because they took the head, actually. Really? Right. Interesting. Um, Just because they paused, they took the time to cut off the head, which takes away that gun evidence. But police say it added more. And I'll kind of talk about that a little bit later. Hang in there with me. I'm hanging. I'm hanging in here. Okay. It's 10 days after the murder. Fishermen are fishing on Lake Oconee, and about five miles away from the Dermans house, they find Shirley Dermond floating in the lake. Excuse me again? She was found in the lake. Concrete blocks had been tied to her ankles. What? Yep, but, but she did not die from drowning. She had been hit on the head about two to three times, according to her oh. autopsy. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. And that's how she died. No, thank you. I think I'm done with this. Have a good night, Jackie. <laughs> that's just, that's, in, that's, it's just wild. It's wild. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the investigation now. I had to tell you the part about Shirley because it fits in to the rest of this. Does it? No one. Well, it's a big part of the case. It's half the case. <laughs> That's true. None of the neighbors heard or saw anyone around. Oh. Because I was was kind of talking about this earlier when I was describing the community they lived in. It was pretty secluded. They lived in an area with a lot of trees. The neighbors were a little bit farther away than my neighbors in this townhouse. Way farther away than your neighbors in your apartment building. Yeah. And I think a little bit farther away than most neighborhoods nowadays. They had a little bit of land on their house. So no one was able to see cars, saw the bodies being dumped, or heard anything. And you would assume there's quite a bit of yelling and at least one gunshot, right? Well, they could have snuck in on them. Like, the the husband could have already been in the garage, Maybe. Maybe they just snuck in real quiet, shot him. Uh, no. Oh, okay, never mind. Please disregard And this is why the police also think there was more than one perpetrator. Because Russell's finger had a severe wound. I'm assuming it's a defensive wound. Because normally, correct me if I'm wrong, normally when there's wounds on the hands, police think it's from the people holding up their hands kind of ward off a blow or a knife or something and they get hit in the hands and it's a defensive wound most of the time so i could be wrong i'm assuming it is just because it's his finger on his hand they also found strands of shirley's hair next to russell in the garage oh no right so please think it was somebody they knew 
because they herded them into the garage without Russell fighting back immediately as soon as he saw that somebody was in his house. Also, the door wasn't broken down. Mm-hmm. The latch and everything was still intact. It was just unlocked, which means unless the door was unlocked originally from them not locking it, they were invited inside. Yeah. Like, the Dermans knew who they were. Mm-hmm. That's sad. The police also think there was more than one person because Shirley was not in the house and the head was missing, which means... They had to take her body away on a boat, in a car, however they took it away from the house, and dump it in a lake, which would, unless you're a super strong man, I don't want to say man, unless you're a super strong person who can carry a whole other human by yourself for a long time, probably two people. Yeah. And that's not 100%, obviously, because we don't know who did it, but the way that this story the investigations going for them at this moment looks like two people and it looks like people they know police thought maybe it was a robbery because like i said they own several hardies so please think maybe from the outside perspective maybe people thought they had a lot more money that they than they did so maybe they tried to enter their house and i don't know i don't know what they expected to find i don't feel like most people keep stacks of cash no, but they could have had, like, nice TVs or electronics or jewelry or things like that. I think that, that you can take away easy, but the police go in the house and they don't find anything missing. And they also don't find anything missing from their bank account. So it doesn't really sound like robbery. It doesn't sound like robbery is a motive here. Yeah. But nobody else that they talk to has ever had anything bad to say about them. They said that they were very family-centered, um, loved their grandkids, loved to spend time with the family. So, That's so sad. Right. But at the same time, if you did murder them and you hated them, even if you didn't murder them and you just hated these people, if the police come knocking and say, did you know anything about them? Do you know anybody that would dislike them? I think my answer would be like, I, I, they were wonderful. I have no idea. I feel like not everybody would say that. I think people outside it would be like, there was that one time. There was that one time where... He punched me in the face, but I'm sure that doesn't have anything to do with it. Other than that, they were, you know, nicest people around. <laughs> he just came out swinging sometimes. Sheriff Sills said he initially assumed the beheading was meant to send a message. I'm assuming that was before they found the gunshot residue on the collar. I feel like most of us would assume well, it's just so- based on that that it was done to hide evidence. Yeah, and it's just so jarring. Like, that's plenty of people get murdered by gunshot not a lot of people also then get decapitated i feel like no exactly exactly and the last thing i have to say about this case the last little bullet here that i have is that sheriff sills recent in a recent article less than a year old said he had no suspects but he had collected physical evidence that could eventually confirm the killer's identity i hope it. i does. guess they just haven't tested it or they haven't found a suspect that they could test it to and match it to yet if it is dna or a fingerprint or something but hopefully they find out soon if i can't imagine that too many people hearing this knows anything about the case or lives in the area or saw anything yeah but just in case if you know anything if you think you know anything call putnam county sheriff's office at 706-485-8557 sometimes it can take just a tiny piece of a puzzle to solve everything like yeah there was this one car we hadn't seen before in the neighborhood and it looked like this 
and that could solve a case. I hope that they find out who did it because that is very tragic and very upsetting. It is. So my sources were the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a great article about the whole case. And 11alive.com takes a bunch of cold cases from around Georgia and they report on them. And there's a video on there that was actually an interview with the Dermans' youngest son, Randy. We talked about him. He was, or I'm sorry, Brad. <laughs> I don't know where I got Randy. The youngest son, Brad, he was one of the last people Russell Derman talked to that day before he went back home and was killed. So the people, the reporters at 11 Alive sat down and do an interview with him and he talks about the case. And they also have that snippet of the 911 phone call where the neighbor is reporting to the police that she found his body. Mm-hmm. Very sad, but it is a wonderfully put together video. And I would recommend people who like don't know a lot about the case but are super interested in it to find it and watch it because it's great. Maybe we can uh, post a link to it on our Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, that'd probably be good because I was interested in this case before I saw that video, but after I saw it, it's incredible. That was, uh, that was a good story, Jackie. Thanks. I tried really hard. I know I felt like last week you kind of showed my story up. <laughs> I should have gone second, but I tried to fix that this week. And I think I, I found a very interesting case. I'm just going to have to step my game up, I guess. Yes, 100%. And I will too. <laughs> and we'll have we'll have the most stepped up game out there. Perfect. We probably won't, but you know, we can no, dream. No, you already said it. No, it's <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook at UCSF Podcast, as well as Twitter and Instagram, again, at UCSF Podcast. You can also visit our website at UCSFpodcast.com. And I think that's it. Our website, Twitter, Facebook. Oh, and please, please, if you enjoyed this and you have a murder that took place that you know about and you want us to cover it, please send us your suggestions at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear about any cases you might have been involved in. Do you have anything you want to say, Jackie? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't really. All right. Thank you for listening. And tune in next Saturday for our next episode. Mm-hmm.